welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Chris Brown. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. Just see things in our own way. As Jesus puts it, you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Or the NLT translates it this way. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's perspective or God's point of view. Isn't that easy to do? This is the great challenge for us as Christians to do more than just casually or occasionally turn to God or consider things from his perspective, but to constantly approach life with God from his point of view, to follow his lead, to to have a heavenly perspective on earthly things. And so Jesus summarises this approach that we should have in the next few verses. So we read on and in verse 24, it says, Jesus then told his disciples, look, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? You've probably heard that before if you've been a Christian and you've read your Bible. That's a well-known passage. Captures great truth. And it's really the essence of the Christian life. And uh, as I said, you've probably heard those phrases before. So let's hear it again, those three verses in a paraphrased version. This is the message translation. So as you know, not not a direct as accurate translation from the Greek, but a modern take, all right, in our vernacular. Um, and so here's those last few verses, verses. And it says, Jesus went to work on his disciples. Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to finding yourself, your true self. What kind of deal is it to get everything you want but lose yourself? What could you ever trade your soul for? Notice those few phrases if you go back into that passage. He says, self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way. That's well said, isn't it? Because, you know, Jesus didn't come to make our lives just a little bit better. You know, there's a lot of self-help books, a lot of philosophy, a lot of ideas that you can read and apply and learn from, and and some of it's good. But Jesus isn't like any of that self-help material that says, oh, okay, I'll just pick up a couple of ideas here and, and, uh, and just, you know, improve my life. No, his plan for us is for us to follow his example and die completely to take up our cross, to go to the cross, to be crucified, to give up our own way of doing life. And in doing so, we are then resurrected to doing his way of doing life. We get new life in us and a new plan of how to live our life. 
Notice also that phrase, anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. So on one hand, we've got decision-making power in our life, responsibility to, we're all leaders, you're an influencer, you're leading your life, you're influencing others as well. If you're a spouse or a parent or in any position of responsibility in an organisation, well, you're leading others as well. But in leading, the best decision that we can make is to actually follow, to start by following Jesus and to find the plan that he's got for my life. And then notice this phrase, you're not in the driver's seat, I am. Now, just think about that analogy this morning. I like it because driving is something we're all doing all the time or at least you're in a car if you're not the driver you're in a car a fair bit of the time and so I think this analogy can work well for us to think about uh, who's driving my life who's in control and we've got to ask ourselves am I a good driver now most of us will say yes in fact surveys of drivers' attitudes in different countries all over the world constantly come up with the same main finding, which is people say that they are better drivers than others and consequently they're better than how others would actually rate them. So, for example, in one survey in the US, 64% of drivers rated themselves as excellent or very good. And then they only rated... 29% of their close friends in either of those two categories and 22% of other people of their same age who they didn't know. So 64% say, oh, no, I'm excellent, very good, but only them, 22, those idiots on the road. And this is in spite of the fact that those same drivers, of those same drivers, 89% admitted to speeding, 23% of the men have driven while intoxicated, Compared to 6% of women, there must be a statistical error there. I don't think so. It's just little men are more stupid than women in general, sadly. Um, 56% of drivers say they've been in an accident, but only 28% say it was their fault. (laughs) So this tells us that we're basically not as good as we think we are when it comes to driving. And... The same can be said about every other area of our life because other surveys and studies have revealed the same human tendency to rate yourself higher than others in every aspect of life. And psychologists have a phrase for it because they have a phrase for everything and they call it illusory superiority. (laughs) They define this as a cognitive bias where we tend to overestimate our own qualities and abilities in relation to the same qualities and abilities of others. Don't you love it? Illusory superiority. Which really says two things to me. First of all, it's the human condition that we just are either unable, although that's not true, we are unwilling to admit our own faults and weaknesses. And if we do, then we sort of rationalise them or excuse them in some way. And so that's just a sad reality that we should really face up to. And secondly, I think it relates to our walk with God because we think we can do better than God can, often. And we don't want to rely on him, but just rely on ourselves. So if you get back to the driving analogy, 
in the journey of life, the vehicle or the car that's taking you on your adventure as we navigate and, and travel along, that's your personal life that you're in. And we've all got a choice as to who's going to be in the driver's seat, who's going to be in control. In other words, what place or position does Jesus have in my life? Am I following him or am I expecting him to follow me? Where is Jesus in my vehicle of life? And of course, for some people, he's not even in the car. They're just driving around, they're in control. Sometimes they're out of control. They think they're a good driver. When if you're old enough, you might remember those ads. So you think you're a good driver. Try this quick quiz. And there was a little diagram and little instruction from the RMS or whatever they were called back then, the DMR. Uh, who's old enough to remember the DMR, the Department of Main Roads? And, uh, and they'd have a little quiz. The black car's turning right here and the white car, you know, and they have an accident. Who's right? and give way and all that well like we just saw and uh, we tend to rate ourselves higher but um, you know so, so some people yeah Jesus not in their life not in the car I'm, I'm fine I think I can do it all on my own for other people he's a little closer uh, he's in the boot he's sort of in my life but I've tucked him away uh, out of sight like we used to do when we went to the drive-in Anyone old enough? Luke just got a job at a place where the old drive-in was uh, at French's Forest. And we would go along to the drive-in and, of course, you'd sneak someone in the boot, uh, which was double fun because it was not just saving the cost of the admission, it was hearing them as you drove fast over all the humps. Yeah? And then we became Christians, my mates and I, but we didn't want to give up on the, you know, who drew the short straw of going in the boot. So I remember going to the drive-in, putting one in the boot and rocking up and my mate saying, five, please. There's four here, but there's one in the boot. And I remember the girl going, what? He said, no, no, five. And she charged us for four. He said, there's space. She said, come on, there's people waiting. Okay, and so off we went, and whoever was in the boot went, thank you. And then we looked back, and she's running after us in the drive-in, true story, saying, hey, hey. And, and then we stopped, and the guy said, I told you there was five. You know. And then we paid the money, and then, of course, then we had the fun. Bang, bang, bang. It was more fun than the movie. Was, do you remember the... Some of you young people don't know what I'm talking about. But anyway, you'd have all the humps because the cars had to be on a slope to watch the movie. And of course, it was hopeless if it rained. And, you know, that's why drive-ins, I guess, massive <laughs> properties, all for a little bit of money and none when it was raining, no one bothered going. And yeah. anyway, so, uh, so we obviously we want him out of the boot. Uh, and for people, you know, this is like people who, you know, put Jesus, or let him out for church on Sundays and then put him back in, you know, for the rest of the week. And then, and then of course, for others, uh, Jesus is, is in the car, but he's just in the back seat, or just, just a companion. So, of course, we know where he needs to be. <coughs> Excuse me. Needs to be in the driver's seat. But even then, you've got to ask yourself, am I a backseat driver? Because you've been with people like that, right? Someone's driving, but there's someone else saying, don't go that way, you're going too fast, you're going too slow, don't get in that lane, get in the, you know. And that's annoying. And this is a common Christian conundrum. We know Jesus should be in the driver's seat, but he takes us places we don't want to go. And then we want to grab the steering wheel. For example, you arrive at a crossroad and he heads off down Forgiveness Avenue. You don't 
like that. You find yourself saying, hang on, where are you going? I want to go down Resentment Street, goes the opposite direction. This is where I feel like we should go because I don't, you know, want to go where you're trying to lead. So you grab the steering wheel, you lurch off down, you know, this other pathway which feels good at the time and then you end up on a bumpy road and your car's all messed up and you realise it was a mistake. Or, you know, uh, giving. Jesus, you know, wants to take you on a road called tithing and giving and you think that's too costly, can't afford to go that way, so you again grab the wheel and you don't realise that that road was leading to this lovely town called Prosperity where you could live, but instead you're going down Stingy Street and... And you end up in, in a town where there's tumbleweeds, you know, and potholes, a couple of old toothless blokes playing a banjo on the front, you know. Yeah, and it's like, flip, I'm in, I'm in deliverance. I'm, I'm, what, what have I done? It's true, it's, you know, it never works. You can't outgive God, you, you know. We follow the commandments, we do. And, and, and so... Uh, you can play out that analogy every area of your life. Jesus got the best plan, the best direction, yeah? the best road to take, but we have to let him lead. Now, we have to keep checking with ourselves, am I willing to obey God? Will I trust him over my feelings and natural instincts? Can I follow Jesus wherever he leads or will I just sometimes grab that wheel and, and let my desires or demands take priority over, over his. And, um, and so we have this simple choice, but it comes up constantly in our life. Am I going to trust myself or am I going to trust God? That's why it says in the book of Proverbs, chapter 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and what? He will direct the paths of your life. He will make your paths straight. He will look after where you're meant to go. But it's, notice that's conditional. It's a great promise, but it starts with trust. And I've got to decide whether I'm going to trust. I've got to decide whether I'm going to rely on my understanding. It says don't rely just on your understanding. And I figure over the years that God understands things a little better than I do. And so it's smart for me to, on one hand, I've got responsibility for making decisions, like I said, for my actions, but the starting place is one of surrender and humble submission before God. And he'll then show me what I should do. And that was the issue facing Peter. Right at that point we just read, he loves Jesus, but he's got to be willing to let Jesus lead and make decisions and follow Jesus to places that Peter really doesn't think makes sense. He's, Jesus is saying, well, guess what, guys? I'm going to be killed. And, Jesus, and Peter's natural reaction is to say no and to rebuke him, but he gets put in his place because that is God's plan, even though it doesn't make sense. And so Peter is wanting to be in control, not Jesus. And so he's learning the hard way through the put down, the need to put Jesus in his life, even when Jesus is leading in a way that just is seemingly illogical. And God usually makes sense, right? I'm not talking about silly decisions that people call faith, but just go off and do dumb things. But occasionally God will call us to something that in the natural is just a little skewy, and, but his word is clear and we follow it. And we need to just keep asking ourselves, is Jesus number one in my relationships, in my 
financial world, in my schedule, my dreams, desires for the future, my social life, when I face troubles, every situation and circumstance, where is he? Is he, is he in the driver's seat? And the fact is, Jesus is a better driver than I am and you. We can all make mistakes when we've been driving. We've, we've probably all had, you know, you've run over a pothole and you've blown a tyre or cracked a wheel rim. Or like my mate, you've sat at the lights and he put the car in reverse when he thought it was in park, chatting away, a little distracted, floored it when the light turned green, bang, and we just reversed straight into the car behind us and we're all trying not to laugh. Uh, um, you know, or maybe you've got lost when you're driving and you refuse to ask directions. Come on, ladies, talking to you. Men, we don't have a problem. Oh, no, no, no. Our ego is not on the line. We have no issue. Just stop. Honey, why don't you pull over and ask someone? No, no. Okay, maybe I've got the genders the wrong way in that story, you know. But, uh, and, um, you know, so this, this also relates to God's leading when it comes to our witnessing. And there's a classic example of what not to do in the Bible and the attitude not to have and it's found in the story of Jonah, which we won't turn there, but I'll just recap it for you if you remember. There's just four chapters that tell this amazing story. God wants to use Jonah to reach and save an entire city of people, but Jonah is selfish, he's independent, he's rebellious to the call of God. And, uh, you know, the book begins, the very first verse says, God spoke to Jonah, telling him clearly to go to preach to this city called Nineveh. And the very next verse is Jonah's reaction. Classic. It says, Jonah got up and went off in the opposite direction. He did exactly what he shouldn't have done. And we laugh and think, oh, you idiot. But there's a little bit of Jonah in all of us, you know. And so he's definitely and defiantly in the driver's seat of his life. Thanks very much. And of course, you read on, it says he goes to the port of Joppa, gets on a boat, and finds a ship that is going as far from Nineveh as he can. He's going right against God's call. Because God sends a storm. Jonah ends up getting thrown overboard. And there he is inside a whale. Which is a unique place to reflect on your life. And think, is this the end of my life? And I can just imagine there's Jonah just thinking, okay, this is not working. You know, really going completely opposite what, to what God says. If I get a second chance... And that's a big if, considering where I am right now. Uh, but if I got a second chance, maybe I'll do better to follow God. And he does. He gets spat up on the beach. And then it says immediately straight after, it says God spoke to him a second time. And uh, it says, go to preach. And this time it simply says, Jonah obeyed and went. You bet he did. And, uh, and, a, and a city, an entire city, 120,000 people were saved when they heard about God's impending judgment and repented. Jonah didn't even like them. He didn't even want to go. But when he finally obeyed, <gasps> revival broke out. People were saved. Now, Billy Graham's gone, as we know, just a couple of weeks ago. And you don't have to be. And more and more, people are not the great big stadium evangelist, but God is still using people in all shapes and sizes, in all ways, and that includes you and me, to go. And, uh, and the question is, you know, am I a little like Jonah sometimes when I hear that still small voice of the Holy Spirit 
calling me to say something to someone, to share the gospel with someone, you know, what do I do? What do I say? Or do I grab that steering wheel and say, no, 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 we're not going there. You know, so, you know, we've got to allow Jesus to take the steering wheel of our life. And, uh, and, and it's an exciting journey if he's showing us where to go. We just want to make sure we're not too stubborn or selfish or proud or busy or just do anything to, to obey the Great Commission. And, and so I want us to be, you know, passionate and excited and keen and on the front foot to follow God's leading when it comes to reaching out and sharing our faith. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.